0: And welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy Rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns
1: she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning.
0: This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character,
1: and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st-century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 5, episode 16, The Body
0: we're here
1: i'm a little nervous for this because i don't think it's an exaggeration to say this is one of if not the most well-regarded episode of buffy and i feel like everything that could be said has been said about this episode yeah i agree and i worry i worry listeners that you have so much faith in us and our commentary and i appreciate the compliments I don't think I'm going to bring anything new to this discussion. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm going to talk about what I've noticed in this episode, but I don't think anything I'm going to say is going to be anything someone else hasn't said somewhere about this episode. I think it's being analyzed, uh, pardon the pun, to death. (laughs) Um, Steph, I know that you have kind of a much more personal connection to this episode, which I think is true for many of our, our listeners. So how have you approached this episode
0: exactly how you just described it like what else is there to say when it comes to the achievement of the writing here the acting just the way that the the episode flows which is like slow but fast. You know what I mean? Like this episode went by so quickly for me. And they're really only like five or six just very long scenes. It's a, it's
1: a lot of extended scenes. Yeah. yeah. And then it ends very abruptly. I always forget how it ends. And I'm just yeah. like, oh.
0: It, to me, it's like a stage production um, about grief. You know, mm-hmm. I'm with you, Kara. I don't think I'm going to add anything new to the discussion. But you said it already. You said that people get a lot out of this episode, they, they can connect to it personally. And I think that's what you're supposed to do. Like if ever I were to praise Joss Whedon, and I don't like to but we have to give credit where credit is due. This is a brilliant episode. There's a reason why it resonates. There's a reason why it's so real and, and remembered and honored amongst um, all the episodes of Buffy. This is the best one, <laughs> like one of the best ones for sure. And that's because it's so realistic it's a realistic experience of grief and it reaches out to viewers who have endured grief who have endured somebody that they've lost and it makes it comprehensible for those who have not right you, you can watch this episode and relate and understand what it might be like to lose somebody like this
1: it's also probably the most tragic episode of the series at least up until this point I think the only one that comes close is becoming part 2 where Buffy kills Angel, right? Mm-hmm. Like
0: Yeah. Up
1: and up until this point, you know, there have been several very tragic moments, especially when it comes to character deaths, but none resonate quite as much as losing the icon, right? Oh. Joyce Summers.
0: I'm heartbroken. I like the, the what Joyce has done, not just for the show and for her daughter and Buffy and everything. What choice has done for us, Kara, as a podcast? <laughs> we're going to miss her so much. Speculating about her. Analyzing the weird things really she gonna says. We're really going
1: to feel the absence. Yeah.
0: Oh, like we're losing a dear friend here. Um, and that's really sad. And before we get into the episode two, we have to address the lack of music. And I think that's something else that it's not- nothing new. We all know that there's no music in this episode. So
1: just to be pedantic for a moment, what's actually happening is there's no, what's called non diegetic music. So in film and television, diegetic means uh, it's part of the internal world of the narrative, right? So if a, a character is listening to music, if there's a sound that clearly the characters can hear, that's diegetic. In this episode, Um, Aside from the opening and closing credits, there's no uh, score. There's no soundtrack. There's no music that would normally accompany a scene, even though the characters aren't aware of it, right? So, like you said, that's very interesting that they chose to do that for this episode. And again, it's been talked to death about why. I I think what jumps out to me about the fact that there's no non-diegetic music is the score is always how the TV show manipulates us emotionally, right? I am so sensitive to music in TV and movies. Mm-hmm. So the lack of a cue from the music means that we can put our own emotions that we're feeling as we watch the episode onto the the scene. And what I'm curious about is the moments in our discussion where you and I might have had very different reactions to what's going on.
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Music tells us how to feel in television. So when it's gone, um, it's noticeable. It
1: kind of makes me wonder if we like watched other Buffy episodes without any score. How would our reaction be different to the episode?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's what's brilliant about this episode, too. That choice to not include music because the episode is not going to tell us how to feel. That's that's the the choice, right? It's not going to manipulate us into feeling a certain way. We're going to feel how we feel and that's grief. <laughs> that's life, right? So it's brilliant in that way. So yeah, so we can start getting into it. I I do want to share why I'm personally connected to this particular episode and just the way that this episode is laid out, the way that we're supposed to interpret it from your own experiences. I, I, that's what I did, right? And I I think a lot of the people that have written to us about the body or have told us about the body or even like passing commentary that you've had throughout your life of people that watch the show and and remember this episode, everyone applies their own personal experience to it, whether they've lost a mother, whether they've lost somebody they love or they just understand what a friend's gone through when they've lost somebody. That's what this episode does. (laughs) You're supposed to put your experience on it. So I want to do that because that's the only way I'm going to be able to talk about it. And hey, this podcast is not about me. It's about us talking about Buffy. But that's why I I want to bring my experience forward, because it's so real. Like this episode is one of the most honest and truthful depictions of grief. And that first few hours of experiencing grief that I've ever seen. And I haven't watched this episode in a very long time. I usually skip it for obvious reasons. But now that I've watched it, Yes, I cried the whole time, uh, but it's actually alarming how similar my experiences are to Buffy in that first 15
1: minutes of the show. I I mean, we know that you are just like a slayer that wasn't called, right? We've discussed this.
0: (laughs) We've talked about this before. Also, like my experience, uh, you mentioned becoming part two earlier. That's also been my experience (laughs)
1: with with my boyfriend. Sent your boyfriend to hell.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, not before making out with him. (laughs) little joke but um yeah yeah so let's get into it so
1: sorry just this might seem obvious super huge content warning Mm -hmm. for grief and death and like you know i I, i'm hoping that everybody who's listening has watched this episode but if you're one of those rare people who just never watched buffy and you're just listening to our episodes because you like the sound of our voices as we talk about this 25 year old tv show you're awesome (laughs) this is a heavy one We'll probably make some jokes, maybe some joikes as we go through. Uh, But we're also probably going to be a little bit more serious than we normally are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please practice self-care. You know, if this is bringing up feelings, either the episode or our our discussion, uh, you can always pause us. We'll be waiting for you when you come back. Or if you want to skip this recap and listen to us next week, that's fine, too. Uh, We won't, you know, we won't hold that against you. But this is a tough one.
0: All right. So with that, let's let's jump in um, and we'll add our thoughts and experiences in as we go. So we have the exact same scene that we ended off the last episode with. Just to reiterate, Buffy comes home. She sees flowers on the table and there's a note from Brian thanking Joyce for the wonderful evening. And Buffy calls for her mother upstairs. And as she's calling for her mother, we see her mother's body in the background uh Buffy hasn't noticed it yet she's kind of just like hey flower getting lady like you want me to pick up Dawn then when Buffy does turn around she's like mom what are you doing and as she approaches we we see a shot of Joyce's body it is clearly a lifeless dead body her eyes are open she's at a weird angle she's pale and Buffy stares and she says mom mom mommy and then we cut to credits. So I will say, Kara, I wish the credits were silent.
1: Interesting. Why? So
0: when we first saw the scene at the end of the last episode, it just cut to black, and you're left with this like empty feeling. You're like, "What?" And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you're like, you watch it again. You're like, "No, not again." And then it's like, da, 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 da. it's like, it's like it's a little, it's a little <laughs> that, jarring. That's
1: fair. I, I'm wondering <laughs> if maybe they just didn't do that because people would think that their TV's broken or something. If they're like, "Why well, is there <laughs> no sound during the credits?" Because the credits are just flashing images, right? But yeah, I I see what you're saying.
0: It's a little jarring. So um, when we come back, we actually open on a Christmas dinner. I think it's Christmas dinner, not Thanksgiving Um, with the Scoobies at the summer. Nobody's
1: firing arrows at them. So I think it's probably (laughs) Christmas.
0: Right. What if it it was a flashback to to (laughs) Pang's? for no reason um yeah so they're having um christmas at the scoobies joyce and buffy are hosting and they're clearing the dishes for everyone and i I think this is to reiterate that joyce was part of the scooby gang she was the mom of everybody in the gang
1: well so what's interesting to me is we don't know if this is a flashback or if this is just a dream
0: oh you don't think it was it happened
1: i'm not saying i don't think it happened i'm saying Mm. we don't know
0: it's true. That's true. Right? Where Buffy's just shooting back to a time where everybody was together. I like to think it was real. Sure. I, I want to give Buffy this last memory of Christmas with her mom.
1: I just I think that there are elements of it as we go on in the scene, especially towards the end where Buffy's, you know, joking with Joyce and Giles. <laughs> um, it feels a little bit too perfect. It feels like this is mm. Buffy's subconscious trying to remember the way things never were
0: hmm okay interesting well that's a downer (laughs) sorry (laughs) no that's that's interesting i didn't think of it that way i really believed i was like this is the last happy moment we're gonna see them all together so yeah everyone's so full they could puke uh dawn thinks that she drank some of the nog that has rum in it and i was like dawn That's Joyce's nog. Therefore, it's got band candy in it. And if not band candy, because you're a teen, therefore you're immune to that. It's laced with weed. (laughs) So it's, it's definitely not rum. Willow reminds us all that she's Jewish in this conversation, like we could ever forget. And they all seem to think that Dawn still believes in Santa. And Dawn reminds them that she's hit puberty and there's no Santa. And Anya says, actually, that's a myth. There is a Santa Claus. He's been around since the 1500s. He wasn't always called Santa. Uh, Christmas night, flying reindeer coming down the chimney, all true. He doesn't traditionally bring you presents as much as disemboweled children. But otherwise, <laughs> like, same thing. So we see Buffy. She's still clearing the table. She joins Joyce and Giles at the kitchen. Joyce has burnt one of her pies, can you believe? And Giles is asking if they should open another bottle of wine. And Joyce is like, do you think we dare? And I was like, you guys are so flirty. And Buffy says, as long as you stay away from the band candy, I'm cool with anything. (laughs) So Joyce says, you're a demon child. Buffy says, I lived to torment. So is that so wrong? Joyce kisses Buffy and says, daughter's duty, I suppose. So Buffy goes to cut the, the burnt part off the pie And it falls to the ground and they both go, oh, and then we cut directly to the present back to Joyce's body. It's a
1: jarring cut.
0: Yes, it's it's a lot. So I know, I know, because um, I looked into a couple of things for background reasons for this episode, but uh, Joss Whedon wanted to include this particular scene right after the credits because he didn't want the running credits after, you know, during the first scene of the show to run over Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance. So he stuck this in here.
1: That makes sense. And that's really interesting. It's useful because it tells us that the tone of this show is going to be jarring, right? We come from the discovery of the body to the credits. And then when we come back from credits and Joyce is alive, we're like, what? What's going on? It throws you for a moment which I think really forces you when we cut back to the present to pay attention to what's going on because you're starting to ask yourself, what is going on? Is this all a dream? Is this real? Because I think that's the other big thing about this episode in a, in a fantasy show like this, there's always the question of, well, could she come back? Right? I mean, that's something that we can continue thinking about throughout the rest of the, the series even, but in this moment on, in this episode, I think Whedon and the writers are very aware that they have to establish no, she is dead. This is not a supernatural thing. She's not a a ghost, right? She didn't get transported to another world like she is dead. So they're kind of starting things off by acknowledging the fact that we're looking for a loophole or an answer. And then as the episode moves on, they really kind of steer us through the whole process of grief to emphasize that she is dead and she's done, and we're not getting her back. at least that's what it seems like this episode is telling us.
0: Yeah, and that's something else that stands out in this episode in this series for me versus other teen dramas that I've watched. They linger on the body. they show the body many times. It usually actually every scene is started off with Joyce's body. and other shows don't do that. they don't linger on the dead and the body. they linger on the characters that it's affecting. So definitely another
1: choice, another important choice, I think. Kudos to Christine Sutherland for playing Dad.
0: Yeah, actually, um, I'll jump ahead and just say she was one of my heroes in this episode for literally lying so still (laughs) and not blinking. You know how hard that is? Jeez. So, yeah, so we're back into the living room in the present. And um, I know that this entire scene was filmed as a one-shot mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, except for obviously when they cut back and forth. No, they don't. They don't? Because at one point they, they go into the phone.
1: That's what I'm trying to remember. So I'm pretty sure there's no cuts.
0: Maybe not until she hangs up. Like she hangs up from the operator and calls Giles.
1: Yes. Yeah. Then there's so, a yeah, cut. So. But yes, this whole first part is no cuts. It's it's one take. It's not, not one take, obviously. like they must. That's the thing that I think about is they must have had to do this take several times to get yeah. it right. Because it's not even just that it's a one-shot. It's a steady cam, right? Like normally you just have the cameras kind of tied down or it's kind of moving on a dolly. This is somebody using a steady cam, following Buffy around, moving backwards. So like not only does Sarah Michelle Geller's performance have to be spot on, but the camera operator, the boom operator, right? Um, the lighting all has to be spot on. This was a really like and I'm I'm talking like I know about filmmaking. I know nothing, but even I know enough to know that this is like complex. Um, And yeah, it's so it's so well done because it captures how everything and nothing is happening at once.
0: Yeah. And how slow it can seem like a stage production for sure. When you watch it all play out in front of you and we, you and I had mentioned back in listening to fear uh, when Buffy had that moment where she cried while watching, while washing the dishes. And we're like, this is why we love this show. This is why um, it matters. And it's because the show allows for the space for Buffy to feel and for Buffy to emote and experience what she's experiencing. This episode cranked that to a million, (laughs) you know, and, um, so I will say Buffy, obviously, she finds her mom and we're going to walk through this scene. Why this is so visceral for me and the connections that I had to it is because I was a little bit younger than Buffy. I was like a month away from turning 19. Um, my father and I did find my mother's body early one morning and I called 911. Um, I talked to the operator, talked to my dad through CBR. It took a while for the paramedics to arrive. When they did, they worked on her. And I remember I went and did the dishes while they worked on her. Like wow. I didn't stand in the room wow. and wait. I, I went to, I, I felt, and I we're going to walk through that too, because Buffy does something very similar where you, you're kind of like, like, what can I do yeah. that's that's useful? Mm-hmm. What can I do with my time right now?
1: I've fortunately never found a body, but I, I have had to call 911 for people on multiple occasions, including... Uh, for somebody I was close to who was unconscious at the time. I, I've never had to perform CPR. Um, but I, I understand the the sensation of kind of like calling, the panic, mm-hmm. uh, and then the waiting, of course, for the paramedics to show up. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so I just wanted to put that in there so that as we walk through it, I can be like, this is actually true, or this is what mm-hmm. I experienced, and this is why the scene with Buffy... Walking through the the motion of getting her mother checked and then obviously begged later is real, so Buffy you she panics, <laughs> she says, "Mom, mom, 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 and she says, "Mom over and over and again as she shakes Joyce's body, and then after she says it so many times at the end, she goes, "Mom, like she screams at her, right, so the camera follows Buffy all the way to the kitchen as she runs to the phone and she grabs the cordless and she dials nine one one The 911 operator answers, Buffy says, my mom's not breathing. And the operator says, is she conscious? And Buffy says, no, she's not breathing. And Buffy is panicking. Like you can just see it in in her body uh, language and the way she's talking. And the operator asks for the address and she's going to send the ambulance over right away. So Buffy gives it and the operator says, the ambulance is on on its way. Are you alone in the house? And Buffy says, yes. And the operator asks, What happened? Did she fall? Buffy says, She came home. Like, I just came home. And what should I do? The operator asks if she knows CPR. And Buffy almost starts to cry because she says she can't remember. And the operator explains how to do it. And Buffy's like, Okay, yeah, I know this. I know this. And she puts the phone down. She adjusts Joyce's body and starts giving her CPR. And as she does compressions, we hear a crack in Joyce's ribs.
1: This is a really good portrayal of CPR. Mm-hmm. The cracking is very realistic. That's something they warn you about in first aid training is if you do if you do CPR right, you should probably break the, the rib because it's you got to be forceful. Um so that's very well depicted. I I remembered as I was watching this scene just very recently I finally finished How to Get Away with Murder and the very last episode of the series involves somebody one of the main characters having to perform CPR and it's really bad it's yeah. like they're they they're like it's like really like they're just like one two three four like very like slow now i'm wondering sorry now i'm wondering if that was how to get away with murder if that was a different now maybe i misremember what tv show it was i was watching a tv <laughs> show recently and i remember thinking to myself i'm like oh this person does not know how to do cpr yeah. um, but also like it was just a terrible depiction in television this is is quite accurate what they're doing here
0: I like that you shared that because I think a lot of the times you might think Buffy's so strong, That's why her rib broke, but it is actually very common for that to happen. And I will say, um, like this again, this is very familiar to me when I called 911 and we had to do CPR on my mom. Um, this is exactly how, like, you, they walk you through it. And the interesting thing is um, we hear Buffy panicking on her end, right? Like, what can I do? And, like, eh. the operator in this particular show, in this case, I don't think did a good job of calming Buffy down. Uh, right. The operator, in my experience, was, was like, you. Like, you need to calm down. You need to, like, breathe um, before you can continue on, right? So a shout out to the 911 operators who do that because – Obviously, you need to take care of everybody that's on the other line. Uh, Buffy panics when she hears the crack and um, she goes back onto the phone and she's like, I broke something. And the operator's like, is she breathing? Buffy says, no. And then the operator says, paramedics, are are there any moment? You might have cracked a rib. It's not important. And Buffy says, she's cold. And the operator says, the body's cold. And Buffy says, no, my mom, should I make her warm? So this is not the first time Buffy will be triggered by the word, the body. The operator says, if she's not responding to CPR, best thing to do is wait for the paramedics, okay? And Buffy says, when will they be here? The operator starts talking to her, like, you know, stay calm. They're nearby. Buffy stands up and she kind of looks out the window for a second. And it's very quiet. We don't hear the operator anymore. And then Buffy lifts the phone to to her face and she says, I have to make a call. And she hangs up. And then we get a close-up of the buttons on the phone. And this is the first time throughout the scene that we're going to see this like hyper-focused attention that Buffy's giving to little details. Her focus in and out of these details as well. And um, she, she dials a speed dial. And it's Giles. And she says, Giles, you have to come. She's at the house. And then she hangs up. So we hear sirens are approaching. Uh, Buffy goes to stand by the door and wait for them. But then before they get in, she notices that Joyce's, um, the way that she had moved Joyce's body to do CPR, hiked up her skirt a little bit. So Buffy runs over and fixes her mom's skirt before the paramedics enter the house. And I thought that Buffy's care and uh, need to protect Joyce's decency here was very interesting. What did you think of that?
1: There's so much to talk about. It's we to be here forever. Um, So giles is on speed dial right she just presses one button and then the phone dials automatically something that i was thinking about during the cpr scene is how because buffy is using cordless phone she has to put the phone down to do cpr she can't he- really hear the operator anymore right like it's not the- like these days where we have i know i know some cordless phones have speakerphone capability but like on your cell phone right it's just a a given that you're gonna have a speakerphone. most of us are using it by default most of the time i feel like yeah so that for a moment you know for a moment this was kind of like i had this kind of weird flashback to when i was a kid before we had cell phones where it's like it's not a flat device you can put down on a tabletop it's like it's gonna rest on the side or whatever and you can just vaguely hear the voice of the person on the other side as you're i don't i don't know if this means anything um (laughs) I just thought that was interesting. And then just the way that Buffy, Buffy sounds a little bit childlike. She sounds a little bit robotic here, a little bit numb, right? I have to make a call. The way that the operator pauses when Buffy says the body's cold or her mom's cold, right? And the the operator pauses before saying the body's cold because of course that's an indication that Buffy's mom has been dead for a while and CPR is not going to work. And Mm. the operator knows this but doesn't want to say that to traumatized Buffy right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and then Buffy saying you have to come she's here <laughs> of course that means Giles is gonna think she is glory
0: yes yeah But
1: what do you say like this is one of my greatest fears is if I have to be the one to tell somebody that somebody else is dead like it's mm-hmm. like how do you how do you convey that over you don't just want to phone somebody up and leave a message and be like uh yeah so Pete died last night yeah this is a tough thing and i think that and maybe we can get into this uh in the next scene but i I think that i gotta be honest i don't think we talk enough in a society not just about how to deal with grief but like how do you talk to each other about hard moments that you are sharing Mm -hmm. right so not even the grief itself and what you're feeling but just kind of like you know, how do we prepare, especially younger people, to talk about this stuff in a way that feels both respectful, but also honest? And I think sometimes we err too much on the side of respectful and people feel awkward about talking about things because they're like, I don't want to be disrespectful, right? But it's like, how do you do that? And I don't have an answer for that because I'm not too experienced in this stuff. But like, that's, that's what I was thinking about a lot in this scene and then the next scene.
0: Yeah, but we we see very soon that it doesn't matter what she said to him. He came, right? He comes right Right.
1: away. Oh, and and sorry, the whole decency thing, which is where you started (laughs) to be with this question. I think it's interesting, too. I, I think it's a reminder to us, right, that this is a body. And when somebody dies, regardless of your beliefs, pretty much every culture believes that we should treat the body of the dead with respect and dignity. And even if the rituals are different in different cultures and religions, right? At, at the end of the day, we're treating this as an object to be revered. Mm-hmm. And for Buffy to, to make that action uh, for Joyce, I think, is it's the last dignity she gets. Because the next time we see Joyce, she's being cut open for an autopsy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's this very undignified violation of her, her body. Um, so this is really the last time we see the body being treated as a person.
0: Yeah, that's how I saw it as well. I saw Buffy, like she already snapped at the operator, right? Not not the body, my mom, right? And this is still my mom and she wouldn't want her dress to be that short. And when she wakes up, she's not going to be happy about that. So that's kind of how I saw that. Um, it's an interesting little thing to include in this kind of scene so the paramedics come in they put joyce on the floor and that is i will say that is one thing that i think buffy um forgot is to put joyce flat on the floor when she gave cpr um they say there's no pulse they start working on her and buffy tells them she found her a few minutes ago she was unconscious they start to intubate her but they ask buffy if joyce has had any serious physical health problems or a history of heart disease um and buffy says there was a brain tumor but she had an operation she's fine now she's been fine and suddenly, Joyce starts coughing and opens her eyes. And she says, Buffy. And Buffy says, I'm here. And then they're in the ambulance. It's very quick, quick, quick scenes. Um, They're in the ambulance. Buffy's holding her mom's hand. The paramedic's saying, it's a miracle. It's a beautiful miracle. And then we're at the hospital and Don and Buffy are with Joyce. And The doctor's like, good as new. And Joyce says, Buffy, thank God you found me in time. But of course, that's Buffy fantasizing about saving her mother. Yeah. Because Buffy's a hero and she she would this is what she wants this is the outcome she wants but um we brutally cut back to the paramedics who are working on joyce in the living room buffy is watching uh one paramedic says she's cold man and then they're like let's call it so buffy is just standing like in disbelief watching this happen the one paramedic goes up to buffy and says i'm sorry and this is a really interesting shot scene as well. So the paramedic is being gentle with Buffy, right? She, he has to tell her that her mother is dead. And the camera focuses in and out of him. Like he, he, he's out of focus. He walks up to the camera. He's in focus. And obviously we're, that's how Buffy's seeing him. Um, sometimes it's a close-up. Sometimes half his face is missing, as in like the camera's tilted, to the side we're just
1: we're just seeing his chest yeah right
0: yeah yeah, which is like
1: we're seeing him at buffy's eye level
0: (laughs) buffy's not focusing on him she's she's hearing what he's saying but she's she's numbing she's getting numb this is the beginning of her grief right so um the man says i'm sorry but i have to tell you that your mother's dead it looks like she did a she did die a good while before you found her so there's nothing you could have done and Buffy starts to ask, well, you know what? And he says, I'm guessing it was an aneurysm or some clotting, some complication from surgery. Uh, she probably felt very little pain. I'm calling in, it in. The coroner's office will come and take her away. And um, they'll determine the cause of death conclusively. So the paramedics need to go. There's another emergency somewhere because it is Sunnydale. So I'm sure they're very busy men. So he's like, I'm going to call this in. The, the, it might take a while for the coroner's office to come. I think you should sit, have a glass of water and try not to disturb the body. Do you need anything or is there someone we can call for you? And Buffy says someone's coming. So they gather their stuff and the paramedic says, I'm very sorry for your loss. And they
1: leave. What I think is interesting is, you know, the two paramedics are clearly functioning as a unit. One of them is focused on cleaning up the equipment and prepping the body for transport. The other one is on, you know, um, loved one duty, comms duty. The one talking to Buffy is clearly very courteous and empathetic and the one taking care of the business end of things you know he's like yeah yeah like we're on our way like we gotta go and like not empathetic at all
0: he's all business
1: right and that speaks to how when you're a a frontline respond like first responder like this you really have to switch like so quickly right and i wonder if they take turns doing that right i wonder if like on you know i don't know if it's like per shift or per scene right where it's like okay now it's like i'll be the business one and you got to talk to the people um or if it's just a personality thing but mm-hmm. that it's so interesting to be how like as a first responder there are times where you have to shut shut it off and just focus on what you're doing because you got to get to the next call but there's also times where you know you are in some cases the first or second person talking to this person who's discovered her dead mother and there are moments like you have to at least try to be human in those moments right and and that i I know from speaking to many first responders how tough that can be especially after doing the job for a long time just the the weight of that trauma and seeing that all the time um and again this episode just doing this great job of kind of capturing all these little facets of these elements of our society
0: yeah. And also the way Buffy is so polite to them, right? So she says, thank you. And as he leaves, she says, good luck. And um, it's part of her shock. But of course it's also like these men tried to help me and that's acknowledging uh, those first responders for sure. So Buffy is still holding the phone. She puts it down as she walks to the kitchen, she gets sick. like She throws up on the carpet in the hallway and uh, while she's throwing up, we are here. like wind chimes outside and there's like a faint white noise almost. And um, I'm sure this is the part where a lot of viewers realize there is, there is no music. Buffy goes out to the back porch and we get a close up of her. She's clammy, right? And she's distraught and she's sweaty and she's looking ill. And um, we hear a dog barking. We hear children laughing, traffic. Um, to me, all those sounds remind me of like childhood, right? Her childhood is ending. And it's interesting, too, because we know that Buffy, her world is tearing apart right now. We can tell by the physicality of her reaction to her mother, not just the panic and the shock, but throwing up, like physically throwing up what she had in her stomach. Her world is tearing apart, but hearing these noises outside, the world goes on, (laughs) you know, like to everybody else that's around her. They're not experiencing what she's experiencing. And there are a couple of hints of this feeling, of this realization, throughout the episode that um, the world keeps turning despite your grief and despite the fact that yours ended just now.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was planning to say about this moment. So thank you for doing my job for me, Steph.
0: <laughs> and I'll point out more when I see them. Um, but this is what I mean about like the rea- the realisticness of this scene. So Buffy, sorry, I just
1: I just want to add in the the moment where she's looking outside and you see the, the shot. Uh, of her face the the sunlight hitting her face she looks sweaty she looks disheveled she looks sick right cuz she just threw up and it, it's it's very it's just so different from how she looked a couple of minutes ago at the start of the scene right and the uh, the especially just the bright light cascading across her face i think is you know she's like she's on the edge of like you said this world that hasn't stopped and then she pulls herself back into this house, mm-hmm. and of course, because there's no score happening, it's quiet. And like you said, she she's going to to take the paper towel, and it's just like she she she's not ready to go outside and confront the world yet. So she's like, "What can I do inside?"
0: Exactly, and and the slow motion of it all. She grabs the towel, like in a normal Buffy episode. They would cut. They would cut like grab the towel, cut to this, cut to this. Here they just let it play out. She grabs a towel, slowly walks to the area where she threw up. She she puts the towel down, and we watch it soak up her sick. And it's so mundane, right? It's so slow, but it's so real. And and again, I bring up these mundane things that you do when you're in this state of disbelief, the state of numbness. Like I like I said, um, I I did dishes. And I remember specifically choosing to do dishes while the paramedics were working on my mom because I was thinking, well, this needs to get done. This, this, if, if I don't do this now, we'll come home later from wherever we go after this, and it'll be here. So I'm going to do it now. And I remember thinking that very clearly, just like Buffy's like, I'm going to clean this up now because I made a mess. And that's what you do. That's what you do now because I'll have to do it eventually. Um, and we see more of this kind of thinking as Giles appears. So Giles comes to the door and he's like, Buffy, what is it? Is it glory? And Buffy is so out of it. She says, I'm waiting. The coroner's coming. I have to tell Dawn. She's at school. I'll go there. And like you said earlier, Carl, like it's almost childlike. It's almost, it's just like very simple. It almost sounds like a like an Anya line, the way she says it like this. But again, this is another example. Like I, oh, there's a task that I need to do. There's something else I need to do that is going to distract me or uh, take me away from the present. Like, this is something I can control. I can go get done, right? So Giles notices Joyce's body then, and he runs to her saying, Joyce, Joyce. And Buffy chases after him. And she's like, no, 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 it's too late. It's too late. They're coming for her. And then she sees giles huddled over joyce's body and remember the last thing the paramedic said to buffy was you know try not to touch t- try not to disturb the body so she sees him touching her and she she loses it she says she's says, no we're not supposed to move the body and i think she's horrified by what she says there she it's the consequence of what she just said right it's not my mom she's gone that's that's yeah. her body so she's in shock giles notices this and he comes to her and he holds her and we just get this shot Daddy. of Puffy's face. I know. And like give Sarah Michelle Geller her Emmy. Where is it? She should have been nominated for this shit. Like this is ugh.
1: I know. It's a travesty. I
0: bawled through this whole scene. It's, it's like that look before it cuts away from her face. Like she is horrified. And it's sinking yeah. in, right? And like I said, you you go through the motions, you're like, okay, what can I do while I wait? Um, uh, just like Giles came in. I remember my neighbor ran in, right? Cause obviously the ambulance and fire trucks were outside and it, it it's, it's, it's real and people are there to comfort you, uh, but you don't feel it. You just, you're in a numb state you're in and shock. you're like, no, I actually have to finish this. Yeah. You're in shock. Like it's, you're it's, in a, shock. it's a
1: physiological reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So the fact that this scene, um, and this episode captured that, uh, I don't even, I don't want to say like spectacularly because it, that sounds happy, but it, it, it captured it. That's what it is. That's what it feels like from the mundane to the super graphic to the in and out of focus, like everything. It, that's exactly yeah. what it's like.
1: So we have a transition where we cut to a, an overhead shot of Joyce's body being zipped up into a body bag and she's still staring up at us. And then we cut to Dawn. She's crying in the bathroom at school so of course we're supposed to think that she's just heard the news right like there's this moment where we have to assume that's what happened you know and uh we focus on this friend that's hanging out with down in the bathroom and the friend says it's not that bad
0: <laughs> it's not a big deal
1: <laughs> right i didn't think it was a big deal and so for a moment we're like you're the worst person in the world."
0: wow this is this melinda <laughs> no wonder buffy didn't like you
1: <laughs> I, yeah i don't know if we hear i don't know if we learn this friend's name you could be right mm-hmm. we'll call her melinda so don says you know kevin Berman called me a freak in front of everybody that is a big deal and melinda says uh he didn't say you were a freak he said you were freaky and freaky can be sort of cool <laughs> which i think we just we have to remember what age these kids are at right 14 years old like mm-hmm. It's that weird, it's that weird transitional phase where it's like, you're starting to explore the idea of sexuality and being sexually active, you know, and and some kids will be sexually active at that point, some won't be. And language takes on a very loaded context at that age where it's like, depending on who's talking and who they're talking to, right? Like words like freak and freaky and stuff start becoming innuendo in some people's hands. Mm -hmm. So Don is not convinced. She says, real cool. And then she says, I'm a suicidal head case. And Melinda says, you know it was Kirsty. She was telling people how you were into cutting yourself. So we have a, a reference back to blood ties. And Don says, that's such a lie. I got cut by accident. One, ki- one time. Now, Kevin thinks and Melinda says that you were wigging out about your family and of course Kirsty has to turn everything into a story. She was telling people you were adopted.
0: Rude. Who the fuck is this Kirsty <laughs> bitch? <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, Don calls her a primo biatch, which is such a fourteen-year-old insult.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. says, you know, if I had
1: the power to make her head explode using only the power of my mind, that's what I'd be doing right now.
0: Careful, Don. Be very careful, because you still live on a hellmouth. And I think we, we went saw through... that episode
1: in season one or two. <laughs> uh, um, it's been a while since we were in high school.
0: I know, I miss it. Where, where's Kirsty getting this information about Don? Where is she getting the information that she I cut herself? I assume that the,
1: the Scoobies are just talking while she's in the same hallway. Like, <laughs> it's true. She just overheard
0: else. Buffy talking about it at the magic shop, obviously. It, it, yeah,
1: there's no security. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Dawn has been crying, right? So she's like, oh, I look like a wet rat. She's like, I can't go out there with cry face. That'll give Kirsty more ammo. How do we feel about the dialogue in this scene? and how like is this how 14 year old girls talk i'm not sure it felt a little bit clunky to me
0: i don't know i i don't know i feel like this is how i would write a 14 year old girl if I, right. if i was in my 30s right so like for sure like i'm
1: not i'm not challenging the veracity of what happens in this scene right like yeah. dawn crying her friend comforting her after you know the friend the friends like <clears throat> dawn's like oh my big sister could really beat the crap out of her and the friend and then she's like can i show my face and the friend's like yeah yeah you'll do right like that all feels real to me. Yeah. It was just more like the, the word choice here, the way right. they're, they're trying to make her sound like 14, but still like quirky Buffy style. And I'm just like, I'm not sure I'm buying it, right?
0: Uh, it's It gets a pass from me because like you said, when they leave and they're just like, you know, when they, when they go to class and they pass Kirsty in the hallway and it's just like, oh, hey, hey, girl, hey. <laughs> like
1: this that is... was actually pretty good. <laughs> Those are the quietest between class hallways that I've ever seen in a school. There's there's not that many kids out there, but so this is supposed to be like the the start of the period, right? Like the bell rings and then they're moving through the hallway. We hear the bell ring again. It's like that should be more chaotic. There should be people screaming. Um This high school is very orderly and very calm. (laughs) So they go into art class together, which is which takes place inside a room full of glass windows leading out into the hallway specifically for what's going to happen in this scene.
0: Right. They're like, this is going (laughs) to cause a lot of drama one day. So we're going to do this. And
1: and also like they, they go right into art class like. They 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 go to their easels that are already set up, and it feels it seems like they already know what they're supposed to be doing. So I don't know if this is like a split period where like you have lunch in between or something. But like like again, there's no preamble. There's no like so here's what we're doing today. Uh, so Don, of course, it, it, who is between Don and Melinda here? But Kevin,
0: Kevin, um, Kevin is so dreamy. Like if I were in middle school, I'd have been like. I want to stand next to Kevin.
1: <laughs> He's got the like swept kind of like yeah, the Zac the, Efron hair.
0: Zac Efron hair. Maybe a little bit too early. No, maybe not. Nope. A little bit too early for Zac Efron. Very. It's of very that Lizzie time, McGuire. Though. Yeah. Very Disney Channel like leading man. Yeah. So I 100% am on Don's side here. I would also be <laughs> like, what a cute boy. I want to stand oh. next to Kevin.
1: Um. So the teacher is you know talking about how. They're not drawing the object. They're drawing the negative space around the body because it's a it's a there's a statue uh, up there. The space in between. And I thought that was such a significant line, the negative space around the body, because that's what is happening here in this episode. Right. Like that's what the episode's about. Yeah, because we see we keep cutting back to the body, but the whole episode is happening around the body. And so I just love how they worked that in in this little art lesson.
0: Good timing too. It's got it's good that that's happening this day and not like right. you know the week
1: before. <laughs> this
0: is the semester lined up with Joyce's death.
1: <laughs> so Kevin, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so good at talking, says, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> he's so cool.
0: Hey, oh, he's <laughs> so cool. Oh my God, Kevin's talking to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Dodd, of course, try to play it cool. She's so awkward. She's like negative space. Kevin says, "What's that all about?" Don says, "Like, yeah."
0: She goes, "Like, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: oh, teenagers!
0: Yeah, yeah, you are witnessing a scene from my <laughs> from my youth. <laughs> uh,
1: so, Kevin compliments Don's drawing, which I believe means that he like wants to date her. Um,
0: He's into her. If I was right? Melinda, I'd been like, "Oh, he so wants you," which is exactly what she does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what Melinda does.
0: Yeah, I just realized. She, like, wait, she, she writes it on her
1: easel. Which, like, what are you going to do, rip that off? Like, <laughs> uh, right? So, her, yeah, Melinda writes a massive note on her easel saying he wants you. It's underlined like three times. Yeah, we
0: are all Melinda. You know,
1: and Don, Don's like looking at it, being like, "I'm, I'm making a face right now. Nobody can see." Um, so Kevin says, "Oh, I heard you had a freak out and cut yourself." Which, so I'm a little bit confused. This is the same Kevin who already called you a freak? Yeah. I'm very confused about where we are in this conversation.
0: I think, <laughs> I think Melinda had said that Kirsty was the one. Wait, Kevin thinks she's a freak because Kirsty said she
1: cuts herself.
0: So she's like, oh, she said that in front of Kevin.
1: No, because Kevin called her a freak earlier. That's what he Don said. She, he said
0: she was freaky, which is a good thing, right. apparently. And, and so now
1: he's now she's had a freak out. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, so Don <laughs> recoils and says, no, not even. It was a whole But before she can finish her thought exculpating herself, Kevin says, I felt like that before. Things get so crazy, you know. You just feel like you want to do something extreme because he's like so deep. Kevin is
0: so deep. I've never <laughs> met a more deep boy in <laughs> my whole life.
1: <laughs> he's not like other boys. <laughs> he's he's not. not gonna break your heart Steph. Um, he's just
0: different, you know?
1: So Don, you, you can almost see Don, you know, it's it's kind of like if we were to flip into Don's brain like we were doing with April in the yeah. last episode you can see her like recalculating her priorities and she makes the decision to, to, to lead into the freakiness and be like yeah i had intense stuff going on <laughs> a lot of people yeah. don't understand that pain and kirsty has got to blab it everywhere um which i feel is a test don's testing kevin in this moment and he passes because he yeah. says you know she thinks she's so hot that everyone should bow down before her i'm like whatever
0: a swoon a swoon oh my goodness kevin.
1: <laughs> uh so so kevin passed the test good job uh so don is making progress here don don is in don is flirting this is a good day she's managed yeah. to snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat fuck yeah. you kirsty nothing can possibly ruin her day
0: not at all she's on the road to a to a suck job
1: <laughs> no not about minors
0: (laughs) just saying it's middle school what do you expect
1: i expect that they go on a chase date they hold hands
0: (laughs) chaperoned date
1: (laughs) kevin seems like a gentleman um yeah so we see buffy coming through the classroom window right that's the only reason why we're in this visible glass box um this fishbowl if you will and so don's laughing while we see buffy in the background Don's talking about Kirsty. She's gonna tell a joke. She's really gonna win Kevin over. Um, Buffy comes into the the classroom. She's talking to the teacher. Then she comes up to Don, and, and she says, "Don, I have to talk to you." And the teacher's just watching. <laughs> Don says, "Can it wait? I'm in the middle of class." And Buffy says, "Please come with me." So they go out into the hallway, and Don's like, "I thought Mom was picking me up," and. Don says something's going on and Buffy's trying to like move them out of the hallway, go outside. And Don's like, no, I want to know what happened. Is it mom? Is she okay? What's going on? She's asking a thousand questions. What do you think about this approach, Steph? I feel like if, if this were really to happen, like Buffy would go to the office, the office would call Don down to the office. Like Buffy wouldn't go get her out of class and they'd have like a grief counselor or something like there. Or the nurse or something.
0: That's why the teacher is, like, shell-shocked. She's like, I have to deal with this? Um, I think Buffy definitely would have had to stay at the office because they don't just let, you know, adults wander around. Um, they would have called Dawn to her and maybe they still would have had that conversation right there in the hallway. But um, I don't know. I think a lot more likely that Buffy would have taken her out to the car or something, you know?
1: Yeah. So Dawn's freaking out, rightfully so. So as they're talking, you know, her classmates in, in the the fishbowl are coming to the window and watching the drama they're all nosy and don's don's asking like where's mom buffy says mom had an accident something went wrong with the tumor don says is she okay but she's okay it's serious but and buffy just says don and then we don't hear buffy we don't hear what buffy says after that because we cut back into the classroom so we're not hearing the sound we're just seeing don listening to buffy uh she starts crying she yells so we hear no it's not true you're a liar she's fine and then dawn just like crumples like not even like sinks to her knees literally just like falls like somebody cut her strings and we see her teachers watching buffy goes to her knees and then we see a shot of the body that dawn was drawing
0: we see that dawn is you know in denial Like she, and this plays out a little bit more throughout the episode. Like she needs to actually see her mom to believe it. But, um, she's, when she says you're a liar, right? You're a liar. She's fine. That could be very real too. (laughs) Like, I don't believe you. Like, why are you telling me this? So, um, we cut to the coroner's office. Um, I guess the coroner is cutting Joyce's blouse from her body. Um, then we go to Willow's dorm. Um, and this is also a very slow, Paced scene. Again, like we're we're almost an hour into this podcast and we've only covered two scenes. You know what I mean? Because everything is just so long, elongated um for this episode. So um Willow and Tara are standing sadly. We see Xander and Anya driving toward them, and this is another part part where you're like, there's no sound at all. Xander pulls up and Tara sees them from the window and says they're here and willow's holding a shirt she throws it on the bed with a bunch of other shirts and xander asks anya if she wants to come up and anya says you're double parked and xander says let them give me a ticket so willow is asking for tara's opinion about the purple shirt that she's holding and she's like is it going to be appropriate then she's like no 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 it's too depressing i'm like a funeral guy um and she holds up another t-shirt that's like yellow and has like patterns on it or like um has um some sort of uh, illustration on it and she's like this is cheerier like like everything is normal but but that's rude that's disrespectful like la 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 i don't care and she is panicking like willow is ha- actually uh, kudos to um Allison hannigan for the scene because i know a lot of people uh direct their attention to anya and her speech as they should it's, it's really great but i was very compelled by Allison's performance here
1: i think everybody's amazing in this scene Because what's going on here, and again, I feel like I'm saying something so incredibly obvious and Mm -hmm. everybody knows this already, but like each member of the Scoobies is showing us a different part of our own individual grief. So not only are they showing us how different people respond to grief differently, but they're showing us different moments of our own fractured selves, right? Willow is freaking out. And she's, challenge, she's channeling that freak out energy into worrying about what she should wear.
0: And the wrong things. Yeah.
1: Right. And it seems <laughs> silly on the surface, but it is very much the way that we will often confront something like grief. Uh, Tara is very calm, you know, which we, we learn more about that later in the episode. Uh, she's very much focused on action and support for Willow. Um, which again that's another facet of how we deal with our grief is by doing things by by being there for somebody else who's sharing our grief Uh, xander in this scene is angry and you know he's he gets violent at one point which is a very common reaction to grief
0: and also like looking for things to blame right Right. something or someone to blame for this yeah
1: and anya's confused which again very understandable reaction so I think that's the point of this scene, right, is this scene is a microcosm of not just uh, diverse forms of grief, but the facets of one person's grief.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So, um, again, everyone does a really great job. I was really blown away by Willow particularly. I just thought... We've always known that Willow's a great crier, but um, she's, she's freaking out. She's like, I had that blue one. Joyce really liked the blue one. She told me one time, "You, you sure it's not in your room? And Tara says, I can look again. And Willow says, no, no, I'll wear the purple. It's just, it's just so like, does it mean bad? And Tara says, you know, royal means – purple means royalty. And, of course, Willow has a meltdown about that. She's like, I can't see Buffy at the morgue and be all royal. Oh, I'm the king of everything. I'm better than you. I, I have to be supportive. Buffy needs me to be supportive. And Willow starts crying. I trying
1: to imagine, like, she shows up in purple and Buffy's going to be like – what, you think you're all royal? Go think you're better change.
0: than
1: me. <laughs> Would you do that to a friend? <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I, especially if I was grieving and I wanted to like tell a joke. I'd be like, why'd you wear that? <laughs>
1: okay Uh, that was the wrong person to ask
0: i mean careful who you're asking these questions to um willow starts crying right and she says okay she says why do all my shirts have to have stupid things on them why can't i dress like a grown-up can't i just be a grown-up now now listen all right listen listen Willow has been saying this about herself since last season, right? She referred to herself as like a birthday cake or something when she was wearing a pink shirt last season. So I'm not afraid to say that I agree, Willow. (laughs) That's true. Um, Sometimes your clothes do have stupid things on them. And I'm speaking specifically, I'm speaking specifically to Doppelgangland when she wore that, that (laughs) outfit that you and I destroyed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to defend Willow's uh, fashion choices, but... I just, I want to point out that, like, the line about her saying, why can't I dress like a grown-up? I think what we're seeing there, right, is there are certain parts of our society where the bar for transgression is way higher than everywhere else, right? Like, if you dress in kind of, like, funky, uh, very bright, very loud clothes anywhere other than something like a funeral... You might get some odd looks depending on, you know, the circle you're moving through. But Mm. at the end of the day, people will just kind of be like, you know, oh, she's a freak at worst, right? In our kind of like mainstream Canadian Eurocentric society, you're supposed to be wearing somber colors when you're dealing with death. You're supposed to be wearing black when you're dealing with death. And, And for somebody to show up to a funeral not wearing black or not wearing a dark color you're still you're going to be judged more harshly for that in in the present day than you would be in many other contexts. um yeah. So I think that's what this scene is recognizing is that you know Willow can get away with Otter wardrobe most of the time in her life, and now she's in a situation where for her to defy that social um that folk way would. I don't want to be like, oh, it's going to cost her something, but like she understands she understands implicitly that there there is a uh, i'm just losing my words right now but like there's an expectation here right and she knows that and she's not used to following that
0: yeah and i also would say that willow is not used to being caught by surprise and she's not used to not being prepared so she's not prepared for this very rude of
1: joyce to die not on schedule right
0: wow joyce okay is it some sort of awful joy you're playing on all of us because oh my um, god
1: no no this is Spike's fault. Why? Because Joyce learned that he had a crush on Buffy and it broke her heart. And she's so disgusted that it killed her. She's literally
0: dead because of that man. And he's not even in the episode, thank God, because he doesn't belong in an episode like this. Right?
1: The shock of the shock of losing Spoice, the shock of knowing that her lover is into her daughter, caused an aneurysm.
0: Ugh! You're so right. And I will carry this with me for the rest of the
1: series.
0: (laughs) Ooh, I'm mad. So, so, Tara starts comforting Willow, right? Willow's saying, I can't do this. And Tara kisses her on the forehead first. And then they kiss. These two girlfriends of over a year kiss in front of us for the first time. And then Tara pulls away and says, we can do this. So, this is the first kiss we've seen of them. Um, I don't know if it's the first kiss like lesbian kiss on tv probably not but i'm sure it's one of the first ones no
1: no no it's probably
0: one of the first ones and apparently i guess kissing during grief is fine by the network any other time
1: no right and and yeah i think we just pause and spend a, a moment like unpacking that and we've talked a lot about kind of the the latent homophobia the structural homophobia at work in this show and through the network and stuff i was gonna say it really sucks the kiss is amazing Uh, it's wonderful in so many dimensions i think it's wonderful that we the way that they film it is so respectful but also very intense because it is the first on-screen kiss between willow and tara they linger on it and it's beautiful and i'm saying this as somebody who actually really hates kissing like not that i have ever really done it but like i don't even really like watching kissing scenes in movies i don't like it cannot relate (laughs) um this is a beautiful kiss and i just it's so unfortunate right that we don't get to see other types of kissing from them because to locate physical affection between queer people as something that is only acceptable to discuss in the context of grief is actually very harmful because so many queer people do not survive in our world. Whether we lose them to suicide or to, you know, a hate crime and murder, uh, or, you know, especially in the case of gay men and trans people, diseases like HIV-AIDS, when you move among queer circles, there is noticeable, as you get older, right, There's a body count. And so this juxtaposition of queer joy, or at least queer comfort, against death, and for that to be the first time we see that, I'm not just mad at the network for holding out on us on the KISS, I'm mad at them for forcing that to be the first kiss with all of that latent meaning and i and and they they don't even know that right they didn't even realize that but like that's that's what that's what they've done here and it that it's terrible the kiss is great but what the network has done here is terrible and and, you know kudos to joss whedon and the crew and the cast for for doing it and putting the kiss in there i'm not saying they shouldn't have it's just so so unfortunate
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a beautiful moment that's obviously has that tainted background to it. Um, as you know, a lot of the show actually does present us <laughs> with similar situations, right? Um, it does end beautifully though. So when they stop kissing, you know, like Willow's, Willow says, we're going to be there for Buffy and Dawn, and Tara says we can be strong for them. And Will's look like the Amazon, and Tara agrees. And Will still wishes that she knew where her blue shirt was. Anya and Xander are on their way up. Stairs toward their dorm, and Anya's asking Xander, What do we do? And Xander's like, I'm not sure. We'll talk to Giles. And Anya says, Well, what will we do though? What what will we be expected to do? And Xander doesn't answer her, and he goes inside. Will and Xander hug, and Will is afraid she's going to start crying again. And Anya says, uh, Xander cried at the apartment. It was weird. And Will says, with a little bit of edge to it, Yeah, it's a thing we do. So they all stand very awkwardly in a circle because what can you say? Uh, Z- Anya asks, "What's going to happen?" Willow says, "We're going to go meet them at the at the morgue." Tara says, "Giles was going to go with Joyce and Buffy's going to go to school until dawn." And Xander says that the morgue is at the hospital. It's a, it's a wing. Um, they go there a lot. Willow says that she has to change again. She's like, "Go go go yeah, go! I can't wear this. I got to change." Xander says. Um, did did giles say is he sure that it's natural like was it glory because she said she was going to come for buffy's family and we should go after her she could have done it and then covered her tracks and willow comes over in a new outfit now and she's like well why would she 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 would want us to know and Xander then starts to blame the doctors and he says the freaking doctors they just let her out clean bill of health dig a hole in your skull here's a band-aid next uh he says there's enough monsters in this town the doctor's got to help them out and during this, Willow is saying, you know, Xander, Xander. And then she says, I don't think it was anyone. It just happened. And Xander's like, things don't just happen. No,
1: Willow, it, it was Sunnydale Hospital. I mean, I think we've established that they're very incompetent there. I, I would not be surprised if Xander was correct and they missed something.
0: <laughs> yeah. and I, I, hey, And I'm not here to, this is probably one of the times I'll give Xander a pass, because I think that you grieve how you grieve. right Right. and he's again representing rage he's representing frustration um he needs to cast blame on somebody because it makes him feel better to feel like oh that's their fault like accepting that it's not anyone's fault is hard so I give him space for that um but I will also say don't come for the doctors even though like these Sunnydale doctors they are pretty sus in general though a lot of people like to blame the doctors but like usually the doctors are there (laughs) to to try and save you and they do the best they can sometimes they can't do it all right so xander's getting frustrated right so willow puts up her fist and she's like okay you and me you know let's do this right as in let's fight and xander calms down and he kisses willow on the forehead and he says you know i can't take you and this reminded me this is so cute this reminded me of like you know we don't see a lot of these two together anymore but back in the day back in season one and two they were together all the time they were besties, right? And um, this is just a good reminder of that. Anya asks if they're going to see the body. Uh, are we going to be in the room with the dead body? And Willow says, like, she's deeply uncomfortable with this. And she's like, I don't know. No. And Tara says, um, you know, we should take on all the patrolling. And everyone agrees. And again, like, Willow just really wants to wear the shirt that Joyce liked. So Tara's like, okay, I'm going to go check the laundry room for you. So she leaves. And then Anya says, are they going to cut the body open? And Willow snaps. She says, oh, my God, can you stop talking? Just shut your mouth, please. And Anya's like, well, what am I doing? And Willow says, how can you act like that? And Anya says, am I supposed to be changing my clothes a lot? Is that the helpful thing to do? And Willow says, the way you behave. And Anya says, well, nobody will tell me. And Willow says, it's not okay for you to be asking these things. And then we get Anya's speech which is so heartbreaking. So she gets more and more upset as she goes. She says, but I don't understand. I don't understand how this all happens, how we go through this. I know her. I knew her and there's just a body and I don't understand why she can't just get back into it and not be dead anymore. It's stupid. It's mortal and stupid. And Xander's crying and not talking. And I have, I was having fruit punch. And I thought, well, Joyce will never have any more fruit punch ever. And she'll never have eggs or yawn or brush her hair. Not ever and no one will explain to me why.
1: Um, so I, I know a lot of people use this scene as the text to support their headcanon that Anya is autistic or autistic-coded. We've talked about this before, and, like, that's fine, right? Like, you do you. I think it's great that you can read into that, and, and I would agree that Anya is neurodivergent in some way. So that's one, that's one way of seeing this, right, is for people who are neurodivergent and autistic spectrum, it's very difficult to understand how to behave in these kinds of highly rigid and structured social situations, which was kind of what I was getting at with Willow freaking out about the dress code and stuff. So that's one one layer, if you will, to this moment. Also, I think Anya is just expressing, you know, kind of this philosophical sense that a lot of us have when it comes to thinking about people who've passed and this idea that like this person has left us and, you know, we are trapped in this linear perception of time, whether or not that corresponds to the reality of the universe, right? There, there is a, 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 a physics theory called the block universe, which is, would hold that all moments of time exist simultaneously. Um, and that that's actually very comforting to me personally. Right. And that's if you want to want to hear more about that from a philosopher, um, you should read Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, but, you know, in this moment, Anya is basically expressing almost a kind of anger and rage at the universe, at this idea of time and how we're trapped in it. We don't have access to Joyce anymore. She doesn't have access to us in these moments. And notice how it's very mundane things that Anya says Joyce can't do anymore, right? It's not like, oh, Joyce can't go to a Beyonce concert. Joyce can't have sex with Spike anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Joyce is never going to have eggs or brush her hair anymore because those are the moments that we take for granted. You know, Uh, we always talk about how we're going to remember something like uh, getting married or you know, our first kiss or like that moment, like we graduate from college or start our first big job or get, you know, in my case, I might say, I'm going to remember the first night I spent in this house that I bought. These are the the moments we're supposed to remember. We don't remember all these little quotidian moments that go through our lives continuously day after day. I don't remember what I had for breakfast a few days ago. And so Anya saying this is just this reminder that, yes, part of it is she doesn't understand what's going on because she's an ex-demon, because she's neurodivergent, but it's also her expressing her frustration that Joyce is gone and it's unfair.
0: Yeah. Um, The way I see it too is the childlike way that Anya brings this stuff up because she is, she's asking the heavy questions the philosophical questions that can't be answered by anyone. Um, You can believe something and share that if you want, but you don't know for sure. But it's the way, like a child, like an innocent child that she asks. And it really is, it's children who ask those questions in these moments, right? It's children who don't know how to go through these motions because they've never been to a funeral before. They've never had to support somebody before. Um, And I think for me, when I was watching this speech, that's what Anya represented to me. Because that's also what children do, right? Like, oh, I get up, I have eggs, and I brush my hair. And oh, I guess, like, my grandma won't do that anymore. You know, like, these these are very innocent mm-hmm. questions. But they also come in this larger, philosophical, heavy box of questions <laughs> around what it means to die. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people watch that speech and they interpret it um, in different ways. And I loved, I loved hearing your version of it. Anya starts to cry. Xander goes to hold her, but she walks away and sits by herself. Willow's crying and she says, we, we don't know how it works and, and or why. And she sits as well. And Xander's pacing. And Anya, while they're all sitting quietly, Anya finds Willow's blue sweater. <laughs> She's sitting on it and she puts it away in a in a drawer. <laughs> but we hear a smash and Xander has punched a hole in the drywall. His hand gets stuck. And again, I'm not here to harp on Xander because he's grieving and he's going to be there for Buffy. And that's all we ask of him in this episode. But I will say the toxic masculinity of punching things is right. there. It's it's there. And I just wanted right. to point it out. Yeah.
1: I, I completely agree. I'm willing yeah. to cut Xander a lot of slack in this episode and not slander him. One time deal, Xander. But... I think you're absolutely right. It's one thing for us not to criticize Xander for doing, you know, reacting the way he's reacting, but it's another thing for us to just know that, like, yeah, toxic masculinity and also, uh, as Anya says in just a moment, right, like, you could have hit an electrical thing, like, Mm -hmm. please don't go around punching drywall that you don't know what's behind it, people. (laughs) Like, It's one thing (laughs) if it's your house. Uh, it's It's one thing if Xander built it, but, like, because i i completely understand the desire to work out your grief and your anger as aggression and that i i sorry i just want to make this clear to anybody who's listening like that desire by itself is not toxic right no, like go I to the gym all, yeah go to the gym or go to like Punching one of those plate smashing places Ooh, right yeah like,
0: yeah
1: go, like, go to your backyard
0: with a bat and just I just beat the ground whatever right.
1: or primal yeah. scream right like that's mm. all healthy yeah. Um. I. I think when we, we're calling this out as toxic masculinity, it's th- what makes it toxic is the disregard for the fact that this is not your thing to take your anger out on. Right. It's somebody else's building. It's you know Willow and Tara's dorm room.
0: It's unsafe.
1: It's unsafe, right? And and in that moment, Xander makes it about him. Yeah. Um. But also like. It's this idea that your grief and your anger takes priority over somebody else's space. And that's what makes it toxic masculinity.
0: And and, and again, it does distract the girls from their quiet moment sitting by themselves and thinking, mm-hmm. but not in the right way because now they're worried about Xander who's bleeding. Yeah, so the girls do scold him as they help him free his hand. And Xander does apologize, right? He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm frustrated.
1: Well, and that's also just... <sighs> Like, sorry, I know we weren't supposed to get into this, and I know we're trying to go easy on Xander, but we like, just we give me... you
0: a we give you a pass, Xander, but we just can't.
1: <laughs> you, well, you've just made me think of something else, which is in these moments of extremis, there is this tendency for a lot of men to put. You know, we we talk about men not being emotional, but in my experience, men oh. are usually more emotional. men are expected you know men kind of like well just act out and 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 do something like this and and put it on themselves and the women are expected to keep everything together right the women have to cook the meals while everybody's grieving and dealing with the funeral and the wake or whatever the women have to call everybody and organize everything you know and again i'm generalizing not always like we see giles step up in just another scene right and he's there and he's got it all together so i'm not this is hashtag not all men But I think in this moment, Xander is typifying, uh, you know, how many men, because the way we tend to raise men and boys in this kind of attitude of learned helplessness, women take on a lot of the emotional labor. And this is another example, right? Tara and Anya and Willow are all expected to drop everything uh, and take care of Xander (laughs) um, because he decided that he was going to punch a wall.
0: When when Xander is, I mean, again, his emotions are coming out in rage and frustration, but Willows and Anya's are coming out in tears and crying and letting their emotions out, explaining why they feel the way they feel. But again, the attention goes to Xander because he made a big emotional gesture and... Yeah, I remember having this conversation. I had this conversation with a man recently. Like, like I said that, a man.
1: Ooh, did you eat him alive?
0: <laughs> well, he said something along the lines of, you know, women are tend to be more emotional than men, and you and I have said, "Hey, we cry. We we may, women cry a lot, sure." Right. But I was like, "Really? Because I've never punched a hole in drywall." <laughs> like <laughs> uh, I, I'm yeah. sorry. Is that not emotion? Anger is an emotion, my friend.
1: Right. That it's so. just that men are only men are only allowed to express anger. Right. This is <laughs> Xander expressing his emotions, and it's unhealthy. And yeah. again, that it's not unhealthy to want to express your anger. But it's unhealthy when all our society tells you you can express is your anger,
0: and that it's okay, and that the girls will take care of you once you do it. All right, that, we didn't give you a pass. That after all, <laughs> Xander. But um, I'm sorry you're hurting. So, <laughs> so um, he's bleeding. Anya and him and uh, him go to the sink to clean it up. Tara tells Will that she couldn't find um, the sweater. And Willow says, it doesn't matter. We should get there. I just want to be there for Buffy. And Xander says, you're right. We'll go. We'll deal. We'll help. That's what we do. We help Buffy. And as they leave, Anya asks, how are we going to help? And as they leave, um, the camera goes toward the window. Willow runs back in to grab a coat. And we see that Xander's car is getting ticketed outside. So I thought that was another way of showing that the world goes on.
1: And it doesn't care.
0: It doesn't care. It doesn't give a shit. Uh, we We have this group of friends who are trying to come together and while they're sorting through their own feelings about the death of a woman that they care about um they're trying to figure out how to be there for their friend right and at the same time yeah xander double parked and the parking officer is like i don't give a shit why you did it you shouldn't have done it so she gives him a ticket so let's cut to back to the coroner's office now this is actually kind of quite confusing to me because the coroner Is the doctor? I think it's the same guy. I think it's the doctor, the tumor doctor.
1: I thought something similar and I didn't want to say it because I already make too many jokes about not being able to tell people apart.
0: No, I can't tell it apart. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. All
1: old white men look the same stuff.
0: This could also be the doctor that like had the 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 malpractice <laughs> in the children's ward. Um he, they all look the same. So, uh, anyway, he's done examining Joyce. He takes off um his his gloves and he puts the sheet over her body and then he takes the long dark walk
1: from it's it's another steady cam shot
0: (laughs) from the morgue to the waiting room and i was like why why so long and dark (laughs) Uh, so
1: was that a serious question or just a rhetorical one
0: it's just it's sunnydale hospital that's why (laughs) there's there's no (laughs) lights
1: i think there's a lot of symbolism to that scene but we can
0: yeah go into it let's hear it let's what's what's the symbolism
1: so i think that so firstly i think it's very impressive that they Decided they were going to use that much of the set. Right, normally they would just cut from the morgue to the waiting room. We wouldn't see how it's connected. So the fact that they went to the, all the trouble of setting it up, really kind of to emphasize the separation between the body and Buffy life. and Scooby. Mm. Yes, it's a separation between life and death. The dark
0: and the light.
1: Yes, as he's leaving the darkness of the morgue, he's coming in back into the light, into life. Right. And when Buffy and Dawn later on go back into the morgue, they are traveling closer to death.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And for me, I was just like, this hospital needs to get light. <laughs> Darkest that hospital That is also ever. true. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, good job, Kara. So, um, yeah, he gets there. And as we get to the light... Buffy and Don are hugging the Scoobies who have met up with them. It's cute. Like, like Some of the more notable ones is when Willow hugs Buffy and says, I love you so much. And Anya hugs Giles and it's really sweet. Buffy and Don and Giles approach the doctor and he says he examined the body. And Don says, can we see her? And Buffy says, Don, not now. So that in that one line, we know that Don is still in denial. Like she needs to see her mom to believe this. Well.
1: Yes, I agree with that. But I also think it's a very natural reaction. Don doesn't get to see Joyce alive again. Neither does Buffy. But like, Don went to school. Joyce was fine. I think Don's not just in denial. She's kind of in shock over this idea that like, she's never going to get to see her mom alive again, right? She never got to say goodbye. So like, for her, she's wanting to see the body, I think, quite naturally out of this desire of kind of closure, not just kind of confirmation of she's actually dead, but like, I just need to see her one more time.
0: One thing I will say in this situation is that you do have an option, If, especially if your um, loved one dies at the hospital, you, you can choose whether you want to see the body or not. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So clearly here, Dom would want to. And I'll also add, and this might be, again, trigger warning for anyone who... Um, gets triggered by the idea of a dead body or anything like that when you're when someone is dead their mouth no longer stays closed They're, the muscles relax yeah they gotta so, sew it
1: shut don't
0: they uh, they yeah for like the funeral part they do um but like this is a new body this is like joyce died that day so her mouth would be open and i do think they tend to close the eyes but
1: sometimes they don't stay closed
0: sometimes they don't stay closed exactly because the muscles have all relaxed
1: so can i can i ask Mm -hmm. Did you choose to view the body? Was that an option for you?
0: Yes. Yes. So I chose to to view. And I will say um, the paramedics did get my mother's heart beating again. um, And she was taken to the hospital. But at that point, she was already brain dead. So we had three days with her in a coma. And then um, we were called back to the hospital. And just like this, they gave us the option. Like, she she passed. So would you like to see the body or would you like to wait here?
1: Well, yeah. I got two things, sorry, two things. First, I, I spent a lot of time during this scene thinking about what I would do, would I want to see the body? Because there's a part of me that's very freaked out by the idea of seeing a dead body. Um, so I don't, I don't, and I don't, I'm not going to be like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, that's a bridge I'm going to have to cross when it happens to me. But um, the other thing I'm thinking about and what you just said about um, attempts to prolong life and, and resuscitate people, Obviously, that's, this is very common on, like, medical shows and dramas, but for a fantasy show like Buffy, something that sets this episode apart is its very realistic depiction of death, where most of the time in Buffy, when you kill something, whether it's a supernatural creature or a human, uh, it's, it's a very fast thing, right? And if they're vampires, they disintegrate and there's no cleanup. Very convenient. Uh, otherwise I'm assuming that Buffy calls a cleanup service or something gets rid of the dead demons um, when it's a human right they're just they're automatically dead right away um, in the real world that is seldom the case right normally even if you would kind of like even if you, like something happens somebody gets injured and it's like oh they're dying or they're gonna die there's this whole system that springs into action you got the paramedics and like you said like if there's even the remotest chance that we can keep them alive unless they have a DNR, it's like they're going to do that, right? The hospital kept your mom artificially alive mm-hmm. despite her being brain dead for a couple of days because that's that's how we are as a society, right? And yeah. like we do, we go to those lengths and we, we never really see that on a show like Buffy. So like up until this point, you know, it hasn't been somebody the Scoobies have been super close to, with the exception Buffy died once, did not take, was very momentary, nobody had really time to process that, and then of course we had Jenny Callender, right, and that was a very different experience because Giles found the body, right, mm-hmm. um, and we, we processed that through Giles's grief and his anger that he directed towards Angelus, um, and, and I, but I remember, right, like, back in season two, we had similar conversations about how everybody was dealing with the grief around Jenny dying, but like this hits different because it's choice. And so I think part of what this episode is doing, like I said earlier, is it's really helping us as the viewers to move through this and accept this idea. You know, we are getting a chance to view the body. We're getting more than Don was being offered. Like, the show is being very generous in giving us this whole 44 minutes to come to terms with the idea that they've taken Joyce away from us.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, ah, uh, this episode's a lot. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the doctor confirms that it was an aneurysm, right? There was a sudden hemorrhaging. It ruptured an artis uh, an arterial vessel that was near the tumor that was removed, and um, Joyce would have known about that. She would have known that was a possibility. And the fact that she didn't even make it to the phone, it's, clearly, it's clear that it happened very suddenly. Um, the doctor says that she probably felt a little nauseous and then passed out. Um, he doubts there was much pain. Um, and he's like, even if someone was by her side, it's very doubtful that we would have gotten to, to deal with it in time. So, again, we see Buffy fantasize, right, about saving her mom and being next to her when that happened. Giles thanks the doctor, and Buffy wants to be reassured. She says, there wasn't a lot of pain. And the doctor says, absolutely. And he says something else, but what Buffy hears him say is, uh, I have to lie to make you feel better. And I'm like, ugh, Buffy. Poor, poor Buffy. So Giles offers to take care of all the paperwork for Buffy, which is so sweet. Um, And he leaves. And the Scoobies approach Buffy, and she confirms it was the tumor, and they all sit down. And um, Don doesn't want to sit down. Buffy says we don't have to be here very long, and Don says, "Well, what about?" And then she's like, "Nothing. I have to pee."
1: Sorry, I just I, I I need to weigh in on the whole Giles thing here. Yeah, Giles is Buffy's real dad. Um yes. Fuck Hank Summers. Where are you, Hank? Like
0: he's in Spain with his secretary.
1: I know that you're not married anymore, but y- y- yeah, like. In this moment, Giles has never been Buffy's dad more. Like he just—he shows up. He's there. He's taking care of it. Um, and and we have to remember that, like, Buffy is still young. Mm -hmm.
0: She's twenty years old. Like she
1: might be an adult, right? But yeah, like you're not fully formed at that point. Um, you know, she hasn't reached her final form yet, and and she needs her dad. And so, thankfully, her dad is there. And and, very sweet. Giles is awesome.
0: Giles is great in this episode. So Dawn goes off to pee and um, Buffy says that she thinks that Don's mad at her, probably because she was the one who told her. And Buffy said, like, Dawn had a meltdown, but she, she wouldn't believe me. I don't think, I still don't think she does. Anya just shouts. She's like, I wish that Joyce didn't die because she was nice. And now we all hurt. And Xander says, Anya, ever the wordsmith. Now... I know we said we'd cut Xander slack, but
1: I can't. <laughs> Clearly, we were wrong. <laughs>
0: we, we, sorry, everyone. We lied. Big lies. Shaw. Lies. Um, Xander kind of like, screw you. <laughs> because I know he, like, he said that. He's like, oh, Ever the Wordsmith. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. We know that Anya is abrasive, but actually, what she said there was fine. It's louder than it needed to be, but it was sincere. And it was nice. And that's why Buffy says thank you. Because at the end of the day, who wouldn't want to hear that? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I wish that she hadn't died. Like, this sucks. I'm sad. I we're all hurting with you. Like, it's a nice thing to say. So Xander, I don't know what your problem is. Willow offers to go get food. So they all leave. And then Tara and Buffy are left sitting alone. Buffy apologizes to Tara. She says, I'm sorry. You have to go through all this. And Tara says, don't worry about me. Buffy says, everyone wants to help, but I don't know if I'm here. I don't know what's going on, and I've never done this. And then she's like, well, that's a stupid thing to say, because obviously I've never done this before. And Tara says, I have. My mother died when I was 17. Sweet, sweet Tara. Sweet Tara. Um, We know that her mother had died. This is the first time she said, I think, that it happened when she was 17. But we knew when we first met her that her mother was a witch, and she had passed away. And Buffy says, "Um, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. And Tara says... I'm not telling you this because I know it's not my place, but there's things, thoughts and reactions I had that I couldn't understand or even try to explain to anyone else. Thoughts that made me feel like I was losing it or like I was some kind of horrible person. I know it's different for you. It's always different. But if you ever need. And then they sit quietly for a bit and Buffy asks her if it was sudden with her mother. And Tara says no and yes, it's always sudden. So I cried many times during this episode, but I bawled here as well. Because that is one of the truest speeches and sincerest speeches from Tara that we've heard yet.
1: Hats off to Amber Benson.
0: Yeah. And this is why I love this show, right? I I think what Tara says right there, the very quote, right? Your thoughts and reactions I had that I couldn't understand. That's
1: describing what Buffy's experiencing in this episode. All these little flashes that she's having of like imagining Joyce being alive and stuff Mm -hmm. or Buffy hearing the doctor saying that he's lying to her, right? Tara nailed it. She knows what's going on here.
0: She, she does. And um, that's what I love about this episode and this show is that um, it's actually taking the time to try to explain to you through characters that we love and identify with what it's like to, to do this and and try to help you understand what it feels like to go through something like this. And it, it normalizes all these feelings that you wouldn't expect to feel during your hardest points. I mean, I think you expect to feel shock and sadness, of course, but this episode is showing us numbness, boredom, fear of saying or doing the wrong thing, panic. It's doing that all for us. And, and Tara really summed it up here really beautifully when she says that um, these things make you feel ways that you didn't expect to. And it's gonna be different for everybody, but you still understand. Even if like Cara, if something um, you know, if you were going through something like this and you're experiencing completely different from my from how I experienced mine, I would still understand. And that's what Tara's saying. I I yeah, get it. It's it's
1: the universality of grief, right?
0: Yes, yes, like, yes, like yes. There
1: there's few things that are truly universal to the human experience because so much of our so much of our experience is filtered through culture and nurture and, and whatnot, but we all experience grief.
0: Yeah. And um, to say that it's it's not sudden, but it is, that's so true too, right? Like my mother's death was sudden, but she was also sick for a while. And then when we kept her right. in the coma for three days, that wasn't, you know, and letting her go, that also wasn't sudden, but it is because there's always a before and after. right? And that's always going to feel sudden. So um, hats off to the scene and to this really beautiful writing that's very subtle, but says a lot. And honestly, Kara, I think Tara should be Buffy's best friend. Like, I love Willow. I think Willow and her had a great run. But Tara and Buffy click so nicely and they have these things in common. And Tara has such a Oh, we get so jealous. Oh, I know. But like Tara has such a calming presence that I think Buffy needs. Whereas like like we saw Willow earlier, she, she gets panicky and flighty. Um, Which is fine, but I just think Tara has such a nice balance to that. Tara's a mom friend. Yeah. Bless Tara.
1: So what's Dawn doing? She is not doing as she's told. She leaves the bathroom. Uh, She sees that Buffy's in the waiting room and she decides, no, I'm going to break some rules. I'm going to go to the morgue. (laughs) I'm going to go
0: call Kevin.
1: (laughs) So she, she walks the long walk down the morgue hallway. So long. So long. So, so quiet.
0: quiet, so dark, <laughs> so dark.
1: <laughs> and then Dawn gets into the morgue. You know, she closes the door so that she won't be disturbed. She locks the door. She goes up to the body, which like there's a lot of bodies in there.
0: How does she know which one is Joyce is my question. I don't, I don't know. Intuition.
1: So she, she, she's like standing in front of the body and she puts her hand forward and she pauses, right? Because she's like, am I really going to do this? And then as this is happening, we see another body sit up, and the sheet falls off of it. And of course, it's a bumpy-faced vampire. <laughs> um, and he looks over at Don, and this is all happening completely silent. There is nothing. And he smiles at Don, because he's like, yes, fresh meat. Uh, and then Don turns around and sees him, and we think she's going to scream or something. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear anything if she does, uh, because we cut back to Willow and xander and anya coming back uh did they find any food
0: oh i think they found a little bit of food not as in they found all the food because they, they have the, their arms are full of like Xander's coffee cups.
1: carrying a whole bunch of drinks very precariously like i was getting anxiety <laughs> watching him carry all those drinks are those hot drinks like that's yeah. that's a bad time but right clearly, there, xander.
0: clearly tea and coffee cups you know like he's about to burn himself oh well <sighs> um uh but yeah they got so much food and buffy's not hungry and then they realize that dawn's missing right so buffy's slayer senses go off i love this so buffy goes to the bathroom but then she's like nah and she walks toward the morgue because her slayer senses are like hey go check this out so she also walks the long walk to the morgue but she picks up her pace as she goes and when she sees the vampire attacking Don, she breaks into the room and she throws the vampire off Don and Don hits the table where Joyce is and the her sheet starts falling off.
1: This is a very scrawny vampire.
0: Yeah, Buffy struggles with him for a bit. And I was and like, he's really? He's
1: very naked.
0: He's super naked. <laughs> Which is
1: like, understandable, but also just like, uh, do we need this? We needed a little, need little
0: taste of haunted dick in, this, in the body episode.
1: No, <laughs> so thank you.
0: Buffy and the vampire are struggling. Um, and Buffy manages to cut the vampire's head off with a saw, which is awesome. And again, this is another example, right, um, of life goes on in the so world.
1: Is this because newborn vampires are stronger in Twilight? Like, why was this such a struggle for Buffy?
0: Maybe she's just out of it, right? She's exhausted. She hasn't eaten. She threw up That's all her fair. food from whatever. Remember, she was out all night with Xander, we thought. <laughs> right. Um, That's fair. So, so, but again, so, so Buffy is numb and grieving and like like you can tell from her conversation earlier where she just she's just out of it she's just out of her body right now but her slayer responsibilities continue life goes on in sunnydale um whether you're grieving or not so she when she kills the the vampire she looks up she says "Dawn," and they both are staring at joyce's body which is now revealed on the table well,
1: and once again right the vampire just dusts he's gone yeah this body's still here
0: yeah so Dawn gets on her knees to get closer, and she says, is she cold? And Buffy says, it's not her. It's not her. She's gone. And Dawn says, where'd she go? And Buffy doesn't answer. So Dawn starts to reach to touch Joyce's face. And just before she touches it, the camera cuts to black, and we don't get to see her touch it, because I think the symbolism there is that Joyce is out of reach forever.
1: Yes. And, and the abrupt cut is this reminder that, like like you said, life goes on. The episode is over, but Buffy and Don's experience isn't right. There's there's no way to neatly end the episode and tie it up because you can't neatly finish your grief and tie it up. It's just going to extend it extends onward in an infinite horizon. Grief never fully goes away. I think you'll agree with me here, Steph. It can attenuate over time and stretch out and feel fainter, but then there'll be moments where you'll just be doing something and it just snaps back like a rubber band, right?
0: Yeah, it it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of everything you do, all your choices, all your decisions. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Once you're touched by grief, it never goes away. And that's why I I value this episode, uh, because we're going to see the beginning of Buffy's grief for her mother here. I reiterate again, I shared a lot of personal experiences in this episode, but because that's what this episode does, right? It forces you to take your experience and what you know about grief and apply it to what we're watching here. And the way that this episode explores and exposes the real emotions and physical responses to losing someone you love is actually incredible. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about the way that this episode chose to portray grief in such a raw way with Buffy, like, you know, with these characters that we love and that we've been following for so long. Well done. Well done overall. My hero, hero of the episode, yeah. My hero of the episode. I chose the episode. <laughs> like everybody yeah. in it was was good. The
1: Scoobies are my hero. I can't yeah. choose anyone. I can't choose one. Scooby. It's, it's and when I say the Scoobies, I'm including Buffy, obviously, but like all of them.
0: Yeah, and that's why I just the episode in general. Like, what a brave choice. Like, what what a
1: yeah,
0: what a leap of faith to. And again, um, you know, I don't like Joss Whedon. That guy's a dick, but um, this was actually very brilliant, and I, I think this is his
1: one of some of his greatest work. Yes, absolutely. So we have one hot steak. We we got a lot of hot steaks about the body. Um, a lot of people writing in to talk about how much it meant to them, and we appreciate that. What we what we decided to do is we we just chose one particular hot steak, not because it's the best one, but just because we're like, okay, we'll take this one. It it covers, I think, a lot of the ground that so many of the other hot steaks did. So thank you, everybody who wrote in. Uh, Please keep sending your hot steaks for future episodes, even though by the time you're hearing this, uh, we'll be almost finished recording season five. Uh, But we can always add some in or do, do some kind of little mailbag episode.
0: Sunny mail!
1: Here is our hot steak from Holly, who says, I've seen this episode exactly three times. The first time when it aired. It was a sad episode, but the loss of a parent hadn't happened yet. The part where this random vampire attacks, I thought was pointless. The second time, shortly after my dad passed. His death wasn't sudden. He lamented in ICU before his eventual passing. The episode was sadder, but the emotions still were stunted for me, as I had yet to feel what they felt in the episode. The third time was a couple of weeks ago. My mother is gone. In pretty much a similar fashion. It was sudden. Everything Buffy felt, I felt. I was a wreck through the entire episode. And that pointless vampire scene wasn't pointless anymore. It showed that even though this undeniably gut-wrenching thing has happened to Buffy, life continues. Her duties continue. They don't stop. Buffy's question. Was it sudden? Tara's answer. No, and yes, it's always sudden. It rings so true. I could never understand Buffy's ability to compartmentalize her grief to get things done until I went through it. My mother passed, and I still had to pack and move two days later.
0: So Holly, it sounds like you and I have very similar experiences and feelings about these scenes and the episode. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother passing, and again, for everybody who listens and um is there with us every week but came to be with us here for this week thank you we thank you for everyone sharing your stories um for sharing why this episode resonates and how this episode brings up these really hard moments in our life Uh, it makes us reconcile them in a lot of ways and that's not every show does that so again like Buffy just brings us all together doesn't doesn't she doesn't it
1: I mean I'm glad that you know you had a chance to talk about your experience here on this podcast right? Thank you for sharing with all of us. Oh,
0: no, thank you. <laughs> um, I told you before we recorded, Car. I was like, I wouldn't do this with anyone else. This is the, You're the only oh, person uh-huh. that I would record something like this
1: with. Well, yes, and I won't, you know, I'm not sharing this anywhere. Like, it, this is just between us, just between you and me. <laughs> Nobody else is going to hear this. Uh, but speaking of people who might hear this, let's thank our supporters. Yes. Uh, especially our chosen ones. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Luis, Joshua,
0: Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. <sighs> Goodbye, Stoner Joyce. Rest in peace. We will miss you so. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options.
1: We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week.
0: We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels.
1: Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter.
0: Also, email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Can't wait to hear from you. Praise Malik. See you next week.